good morning again. It's always good to, uh, it's always good to welcome reinforcements in the battle, so to speak. And uh, as I said earlier, we have a, a number of people who've already gone through the growth track class, already made commitments, and it's just a matter of timing to, uh, to, uh, to get them officially, officially enrolled. Um, but let me just say a few words just before I begin my sermon this morning. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been fresh on my mind. And, um, but the topic of COVID, and I think it's on everybody's mind. We're just used to hearing that already, the pandemic. But the topic of COVID or the pandemic often brings feelings of gloom and despair as we keep hearing the news of what's going on. But I believe the year 2020 will be, in many ways, a year in which we would like to forget or erase you see, it's been very difficult for many people, and it's affected each and every one of us. But during this uncertain season, many people, myself included, have paused, and we've done some self-reflection, and, and it's caused us to ask ourselves, what's, what's really important? What's really important? You know, in the grand scheme of things, when most of the things that we hold dear, that we've built our lives around, whether it's our jobs or, or finances or education or, or the healthcare system or the entertainment industry or sports, relationships, or even churches. When these foundations, when these pillars of our society have begun to crumble and in, and in many ways have been stripped away, the question remains, what is really important? And I ask that question of myself, as well as of the church. And when I say church with a capital C, I mean the universal Christian church, as well as church with the, the lowercase c, which is the local church. That's our church here. So I ask myself that question. So as, as your pastor, as your core officer, let me share with you some, just a couple of thoughts, at least from my own personal perspective. And, you may, and you'll see it up here on the, on the screen. Number one, God is not done with us yet. God is not done with us yes, yet. I have an attitude of hope and possibility. Not because I naturally have a hopeful and positive attitude, but because God is in control. And with God, nothing is impossible. Let me tell you, we are in for an adventure because God is not finished with us yet and the best is still yet to come. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right, all right. And number two, we are not waiting for things to return to normal. Let me explain that. Anyone waiting for pre-COVID normal is already in trouble. If we expect our patterns of whether it's attendance or giving or ministry in our church or anywhere else to be similar to 2019, we'll be in for a big surprise. There will not even be a new normal because normal cannot be defined. We need to look for indicators of a new reality and pivot and make those changes to whatever this new reality is and will be. And then number three, we will be more outwardly focused, more outwardly focused than ever, too many churches and too many other organizations, 
ourselves included, the Croc Center, the Croc Center Church, too many of us, we got too comfortable prior to 2020, focusing on our own comfort and our own convenience. It's different now. We are determined more than ever to reach beyond ourselves, to go out beyond these four walls. You see, there's a broken and hurting world out there, and we don't need to be part of the problem. We need to be part of the solution. We're not victims, but we're victors. Amen? Remember, God is on our side. Let's take our eyes off of ourselves and focus them where it needs to be. And then the fourth thing I say this morning is that change. Change is inevitable. Major change is inevitable, and we will embrace it. We won't deny it. We won't avoid it. No, we must proactively seek and move toward radical change. God is a God of radical action and movement. He's not satisfied with the status quo, and neither should we. As God places it on our hearts, we must take faith-based risks like we have never known before. If we succumb to the whiners who lament, well, we've never done it that way before, then we're doomed. We will embrace God-inspired changes with a God-sized faith and God-sized wisdom and God-inspired courage. Amen? Amen. Now, we cannot deny the reality of sickness, death, depression, and economic collapse that COVID has brought to our world. But in other ways, this season is a time of incredible hope and incredible opportunities for the church, for our church. So let's not be paralyzed with fear, but look forward to the future with hope because our confidence, our strength, our hope is found in the Almighty God. And I can't wait to see what it will look like. Well, thank you for letting me ramble on for a few minutes. And um, I pray that the Lord, that you would receive that um, uh, as the Lord has given that to me. Well, this morning, as it's already been mentioned, uh, we begin a new sermon series. And it's entitled Letters to the Church, which is based on a book, and I have a copy right here, uh, written by Francis Chan. And he addresses these letters to the church, as I said earlier, to the universal Christian church. It's made up of all believers. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of that universal Christian church with a capital C. And he poses the question to the church at large, to local churches, to individual believers as well. He poses the question to see if we, the church, are we who God designed us to be? Are we the kind of church, are we the kind of people who God originally designed us to be? Are we doing church? And there's many ways that churches do church, but are we doing church according to His Word, according to the Holy Scriptures? Are we living it out? Am I living it out? There's going to be probably more questions than answers. And we're going to be posed, those questions are going to be posed to us as individuals and to us as a church. But are, 
Am I living it out? Are we living it out? We're going to be challenged in these next eight or nine weeks to look at our church in light of Scripture, to look at our church in light of God's original plan for His bride. The church is His bride, the church. And because of all that's happening with this worldwide pandemic, this time, right now, 2020, is the most critical time in history for the Christian church. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so I pray that this series would challenge us. I pray that this series would challenge me, that it would challenge all of us to be the kind of church that God desires us to be. So I would encourage you to keep praying for your leaders, keep praying for those on our preaching team as they prepare their messages. And I encourage you once again to get a copy of the book. We have information on our, on our app, our Croc Church app, on how to purchase it. Some of our Ohana groups and small groups will be, will be going through this study as well. But let's pray together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just pause. We want to be a church, Father, who loves you and honors you and brings glory to your name. We want to be a church who, at the end of the day, pleases you. We want to, we want to be a church, Lord, that is after your own heart, just like King David. Lord, this is our prayer. Amen. I want you to look at the next slide here. Our culture teaches us to push back on everything. We are so quick to question authority and to, to assume we are in the right. And as the old saying goes, nothing is sacred anymore. You agree with that? Nothing is sacred anymore. That attitude is oftentimes misplaced, even when it's directed toward imperfect human authorities. But it's completely inappropriate. It's completely inappropriate when we bring it into our relationship with God. And so the word for today, the word is sacred. It's sacred. That is the word that we're looking at today. So what is the definition of the word sacred? Well, I looked it up, and it's, it says it's holy, it's blessed, it's consecrated, hallowed, revered, sanctified. Sacred describes something that is dedicated or set apart for the service or worship of a deity. It's considered worthy of spiritual respect or devotion. Or, and I like this, inspires awe of reverence among believers. And so would you say in your own church experience, and many of you have uh, many different types of church experience, you've been to and been members and attended other churches, but would you say that in your church experience, God is treated as sacred? It's a good question to ask yourselves. Well, let's look at what the Word of God says. Turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7. And we're looking at just the first four verses of that. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. And this is uh, it's, it's speaking about Solomon and how he built the temple, and this is the dedication of the temple. And that's another word I want you to, to kind of focus in your mind today. Remember the word sacred. Here's another word to remember today, and you'll hear it repeated a lot. Temple. 
temple. Every time we see that word or hear that word, let's think about what that means, okay? So sacred and then temple. So here it goes. Verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord. Why? Because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His, his love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. Skip a few pages over to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah. This is probably a more familiar passage of Scripture for for some of you. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And again, we see Isaiah in the temple. The temple. And so starting with verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, said Isaiah. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Can you imagine that? In this temple, the glory of the Lord, which is very difficult to describe, but here I see it more as, as fire coming down from heaven with such great force and power and majesty. But can you imagine, can you imagine watching fire come down from heaven, from heaven and everything shaking and the, the temple filled with smoke? Some of you who've experienced earthquakes may uh, relate to that. The closest thing that I can think of as, as my own personal experience was when I was a teenager. I was working at a, at a camp at summertime and it was in the, the Catalina Mountains just north of Tucson, Arizona. And in August, usually about August, the monsoon season, we'd have this huge, huge thunderstorms, and we were up in the mountains. And I remember one day, it started pouring rain, and then we, we lost power, we lost electricity. So we were just sitting in our cabin, we had our little tiny flashlights, and all of a sudden, boom! This huge clap of thunder, this huge lightning bolt. And they say, when you see lightning, you say, thousand one. And you can say after so many thousands, you say that's, and you hear the thunder, that's how far away the lightning was, approximately. But I swear on this date, we heard the thunder before we saw the lightning. Now I know that's not scientifically possible, but it appeared that way. We were in this cabin, and the whole place shook. It was so loud. It's like a bomb exploded. And this bright flash of light, which I swore went right through the cabin. I knew it didn't go through the cabin because we would have been dead. So it must have been outside, but it was so bright and it was so loud. 
and it was so frightened, frightening, and it was so terrified. Is that a picture of God's glory? You know, my heart was pounding. I had a hard time breathing, and I, I, and I didn't know if I, if I should either faint or, or pee in my pants. I was so afraid. God's glory. God's glory. Described in the Bible, it's, it's powerful. It's scary. It's frightening. Yet somehow it's still attractive, isn't it? Well, then there's the other side of it as we read in the scriptures. Not just the power and the fire and the thunder and all that, but there's the thrill. And we saw that in, in, in Chronicles. There's the thrill of worshiping with other believers in the middle of all of this, in the middle of the, the display of the glory of God. So you see, the temple was the place where heaven intersects with earth. A glimpse of his glory was made visible to human eyes. And that's why even today to the Jewish people, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is still a very, very sacred place for them. For they believe that's where God dwells, in the temple. And they can't wait to rebuild that temple. So that's the Old Testament. But let's go to the New Testament and I think it describes even something even greater. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And again, look for that word temple, because that's the place where God lives. That's the place where God dwells. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 19. And it says, consequently, and this is Paul writing, consequently, you, meaning us, believers, Christians, those of the faith, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Jesus you too, meaning each and every one of us, you too are being built together to become a dwelling, a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. What would you give to stand outside the temple and to watch God's glory come down from heaven? But you know what? We get something so much better. As Paul says, we are literally a part of the temple itself. We have become the temple, the place where God dwells. It's not a physical structure that needs to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, but it's within ourselves. Somehow, that's one of the mysteries, somehow by the blood of Jesus Christ, we became worthy of joining with others to form a dwelling place for God. Peter described us as, as living stones. We're all part of the temple. We're all these little blocks or big blocks. But Peter describes us as living stones. You are a stone in the same structure in which the apostles and the prophets are the foundation and Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. We are all part of that. 
We're part of the temple. And so, when Paul talked about this concept, he used the, the plural form of you and the singular form of temple. So in other words, we are all joined together to form one house for God. Somehow, somehow I'm a block of a temple that transcends time and space. You are a block of that temple that transcends time and space. And because the structure is a temple, this means that God makes his home among us. Isn't that pretty cool? Isn't that pretty cool? Well, as we go on, when Paul explained this concept of the body of Christ being the temple to the Corinthians, and I know some of, some of you ladies are studying Corinthians. You know, the Corinthians, they were, they were kind of messed up, weren't they? But um, we shouldn't speak so highly or lowly of them because we're messed up just as messed up as they are. But when Paul explained this concept to the Corinthians, he also added this sort of this warning. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17. And he uses that same word again, it's that word temple. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And here's the warning. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred. There's that word again. God's temple is sacred, and you together, all of us together, we are that temple. So think back to that scene in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 when they had just finished building the temple and, and the glory of the Lord came down. When the fire came down, think about it. When that fire came down and God's glory filled the temple, would you have considered taking a sledgehammer and striking the temple and destroying the temple? Of course not. Of course not. But then why are we so quick to gossip or slander fellow believers and leaders and divide the church? If anyone destroys God's temple, Paul said, God will destroy that person. Wow. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But it's from the Word of God. We can't argue with it. We cannot argue with it. Why is God so harsh about this? Well, Paul explained that God's temple is what? It's sacred. It's sacred. And we, collectively, the body of Christ, we are that temple. So every time you speak badly about another member of the church, it's like taking a sledgehammer to the temple. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. Every time we speak badly about a member of the church, it's like taking a sledgehammer to the temple. So let's be careful with our words and our actions. Why? Because we are dealing with something very, very sacred. Let's stay on the right side of God's protection. Remember that the temple was the location where God chose to live on earth. And now the church is that temple. You and me, we are that temple. So let's, 
Let's value one another. Let's honor one another. Let's submit to one another. Let's encourage one another more faithfully. So think about how so often we critique things we don't like about the church or perhaps the leadership of it. And how is this problem? How is this a problem in light of God and his church being sacred? It's a question we all have to answer. Well, let me finish with this, and I'm going to ask Matt and the worship team to to come forward as I, I finish up this morning. You know, so often when we look forward to heaven, it's the rewards that we look forward to. It's those things that we dwell on. It's the absence of sickness or sorrow and suffering. And, and we dwell on those things when we think about going to heaven. But in doing so, we're missing the whole point. Because you see, heaven is the restoration of God's original intent for humanity. We will once again dwell with him and experience the fullness of his presence. Right now here on earth, it's just a partial thing. But when we get to heaven, we can fully experience God's presence. That is our hope. You see, God wants us to long for this with all our hearts. God is sacred. His church, his bride is sacred. And it's all about him. It's all about him. Society conditions us to be self-centered. But there's no room for this in the church. None whatsoever. God's glory is too sacred for that. We can't afford to compromise on this. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves and regain a heavenly perspective. Let me give you an example. Imagine, imagine going to say a big concert at Aloha Stadium or maybe even the Super Bowl. And you have to imagine that because nowadays we can't do that. But I remember when we lived in Denver before moving here, people would often give us tickets. And I remember going to an Elton John concert and it was wonderful, he was great. We would go to the Denver Broncos football games to see a crowd of 70, 80,000 people. It was wonderful. But as you think about that, if you think about going to one of those big events for an express purpose, whether it's a game or it's a concert, are you disappointed there are a lot, that there are a lot of people there? No. You're probably actually excited to see so many people who enjoy the event as much as you do. There's a certain camaraderie, perhaps, that you have as you go there. And you're not the focus. You're not the focus. But you still love it. You still love being there and being part of the crowd. Well, that, in a sense, is sort of like a small taste of what heaven will be like, where we are part of a larger crowd, yet we're all excited to be there. Why? Because we're focusing on the King, and we're there to worship Him and adore Him together. We lose self-focus. And yet we gain so much more by taking our eyes off of ourselves. You see, the more we look at ourselves, the more we get depressed. But the more we look at Christ, the more that joy fills our heart. There's an old hymn, one of my favorites growing up a long time ago. We're not going to sing it, but I just wanted to 
put the words up here. Lauren Dago made it more popular in the last couple of years. And it's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And that's what I would encourage each of us to do today. So we think about God and His sacredness and that the body as well. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth, all the other things that will distract us and cause us all kinds of other things, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I'm still going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads, and we'll just spend these last few moments in prayer. And I want you to spend some time in prayer and be honest with the Lord. Be honest with Him about the condition of your heart toward Him and toward His church. And perhaps we need to repent of the times when we've cheapened, we've cheapened the sacred things of God. We need to ask Him to show us the areas of our life and perhaps even of our own ministry where we have strayed from His design and then pray for the strength to change. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I'm going to ask the worship team to sing the closing song entitled, Yes, I Will. And even as they sing, continue in prayer. If you need to come to the place of prayer, the altars, the mercy seat as we call it, feel free to do so. Allow God's Holy Spirit to speak to your heart today. Let's just pray together before we sing the benediction. Father, I thank you, Lord. Thank you because you are a faithful God. You are sacred, you are holy, you are righteous. Sometimes you are frightening, Lord. But you still love us and you desire an intimate relationship with us. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. Help us, Father, all of us, to be what you designed us to be. Help us individually, Father, to, be, to become more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ in all that we do and all that we say. Help us, Father, to be a church, a church who is after your own heart, who loves, who serves, who gives, who worships. We want to just please you, Lord. And so, Lord, bless us this day as we go to our separate ways. Bless us and keep us. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.